Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in. say welcome to you. If you're with us for the first time today, if you're a guest, a friend of someone, family member of someone, thanks for being here. What a joy to see your faces. It's so good. Uh, hey, I have one more announcement uh, that wasn't in the earlier announcement list, and I, I waited to do it myself because I wanted to share a little bit with you. We have been, work, have been working with our outreach director, Renny. We do an outreach once every couple months or so, and we have one coming up in August. We're going to do something a little different, and I think it's going to be kind of fun. If you could go to the next slide for me, Naomi. Boom shakalaka. Um, Bags of Hope is our August outreach. What we're doing is we are going to put together a lunch-sized bag, a small bag, that has in it uh, just some some food items that are, you know, easy to open and eat if you're out on the streets or that don't require any preparation or cooking. We'll also put other things in the bag, uh, maybe a pair of socks or toothbrush and toothpaste, different stuff like that. And then we're going to attach one of these little business card sized cards to each bag. And it just says, you are loved. God bless you from Cascade Vineyard Church on the front. Now, here's where you guys come in. I have uh, about 100 or so of these cards. I would like to actually put a personal note on the back of each card that people that receive these will have. You can put a scripture verse, a prayer, just a, a word of encouragement, whatever you want. And so I'd like... You guys, too, if you, if you want to, and this is, I, I thought this would be a great way to get kids involved. If your kids could do this with you at home one night, uh, they could write on them. You can take these home and fill them out with something on the back, but you have to bring them back. That's the deal. So August 15th is the day after, it's a Sunday after church. We'll take an hour or so and put these bags together. We'll have everything in the youth room and put them together. And so we need these cards back by the 15th, but we'll make sure they're in the back this morning after service and you could take a few with you, have your kids fill them out. We thought that'd be a, a very cool way to have a personal note. And then we'll have a hundred or so of these bags. They'll be here on Sundays and everybody is welcome to take as many as you like with you. Uh, but you have to give away any that you take. You can't just leave them in your car forever. You, you can be in your car for a while and you can drive around, but sooner or later you have to find someone and hand that bag to. And it's pretty cool because even if you see somebody on the corner or something and you can't stop, but you can contact them, you could reach it out the window and just a way to, to bless people. So that's our August Outreach Bags of Hope. Amen. Amen. Hey, we, if you've not been here, uh, we have been in the book of Ephesians, uh, this year and, uh, we're, we're working our way slowly through it. We're going to tackle 11 verses this morning. I know 
That is a big chunk uh, based on our, our history. The reason is that uh, today's uh, passage really is one cohesive sort of section, and I think it would do a disservice to the passage to break it up. And I also will kind of forewarn you, this morning is a little in-depth. It's kind of more of a teaching than a preaching message in that regard. Um, however... I believe this is a really, really important passage, Uh, so much so that uh, historically uh, it's been misinterpreted in various contexts. And and look, that happens from time to time. Uh, You know, someone with the right intent, the right heart, Scripture is just misinterpreted. That happens. However, in, in this case, the misinterpretation has caused uh, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and in some cases, uh, actual abuse. Um, and, and I wouldn't even go into I, I, just, the, but things I have encountered and people that I've had ministry with as a result of misinterpretation of the text, I would go so far as to say that it, those things are not only wrong, it's a wrong interpretation, they're ungodly, maybe even demonic in that regard. Um, don't be afraid. Just uh, let's let's. Uh, I want to back up a little bit to verse twenty-one again. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when I read this last time, I we shared that I connected it to the paragraph prior to it. Uh, but today, it really is a transitional verse, and I'm also going to connect it to the paragraph that follows. It says, "Submit to one another out of reverence." For Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, with with that as kind of context, our uh, our title today is "Godly Authority and Godly Submission." Quick prayer, and we will dive in. Father, thanks so much for your word. I pray that uh, you would give me wisdom and grace this morning in sharing this passage, and that it truly would uh, enlighten the eyes of our hearts and help us to really walk out our lives and our relationships in the full goodness, uh, grace, love, kindness, security that you have intended. In your name we pray, amen. All right, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to your, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right. 
Um, I want to look at one more verse, actually, just for context, if you could go one more for me. This is Genesis 3.16. It says, to the woman, this is uh, immediately after the fall, God is speaking. He said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So, um, misinterpretation of the text, as I said, uh, a little bit less of an issue today than maybe it has been historically, especially, I think, in the past 50 or 60 years or so uh, in the United States with kind of the the rise of uh, evangelicalism, that there have been a lot of misinterpretations of this. Uh, and again, recently, I think less so, more and more people stepping out and really bringing, I think, a, a, a better scriptural basis to this. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, the world I live in is just kind of my world. And I, I talk to people, Christians, pastor friends. I read certain books, and most of the books I read are by authors that I know or that are recommended to me. And so they kind of have similar perspectives. And I lose touch with the fact that there's people out there in churches that view things very, very differently than we do. Um, But from time to time, God will be so good as to remind me of that. One of those times was this last year. I read this book called Godland. I don't know if anybody has read this. Uh, it's by uh, a gal named Liz Lenz. It's, it's really her story. It's her story of trying to find her way as a Christian living in the kind of what we would call the heartland, sort of the middle America, uh, Midwest, uh, in, in recently, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and I want to read a couple quotes uh, from her that, again, just stirred up to my mind uh, that there are any number of issues uh, over which people come to different conclusions about scripturally. And, and one of those uh, very often is gender roles in the church. So, th- again, this is Liz's story. She says, I frequently found myself chafing against the strict orthodox interpretation of the Bible and the long lectures I was often given by male members of the church about how if I believed women could be pastors, I was questioning the inerrancy of the Bible. So just sharing a thought or a belief caused them to tell her that she was questioning inerrancy by doing that. And then this is a little bit longer passage, uh, but again, I I thought it was fairly enlightening. Uh, Her and her husband, her family had left the church they were at and had had started at a new church and really wanted to, to make a connection there. She says, Dave and I put everything into that church. We volunteered with the youth on Wednesday nights. I helped with the coffee every Sunday and in the nursery. And we went on a trip to Israel and a mission trip to El Salvador. On that mission trip, everything fell apart. It fell apart because I asked to lead the prayer during devotionals one morning. Stephen, the pastor leading the group, had frowned and told me that wasn't my place. I was furious. I had a specific story I wanted to share one of our local hosts, who was a woman and a pastor, had taken me, taken me with her on her visits to the sick people in the village. I'd used my Spanish-English dictionary to talk to a man about how my sisters had been hit by a car just like he had, how one of my sisters also had a hard time walking. 
It was a small moment of connection, and I wanted to tell everyone about it, and I wanted to pray for him. But Stephen was upset because I had been with a female pastor. He didn't think it was my place to be leading devotions in our majority male group. Stephen's approach even angered Dave. When I had told Stephen that nothing in the Bible prevented me from talking out loud in a small group, he replied by saying, it's there in the scripture right here where you were told to submit. When Dave and I returned from the trip, we met with Pastor Travis and voiced our concerns. We had heard that other people had similar concerns with this same pastor, and I said as much. What? Who? Travis said. You know who I said. They told me they told you. No one told me anything, he said. My husband spoke up. We know people have talked to you about how this man treats people. Pastor Travis bowed his head and folded his hands for a moment. When he looked up, he met my husband's eyes and said, You're right. I don't know why I lied, and I apologize to you. Apologize to me, I said. You lied to me, not to him. I did apologize to you when I apologized to your husband, Pastor Travis replied, looking not at me, but at Dave. We had been going to that church for five years together, and here I was, not even worthy of an apology. And so that that really illustrated to me or or brought to my mind that there are different understandings of uh, Scripture and that with this particular passage, there are misinterpretations that have led to, you know, uh, some hurtful things happening in people's lives. One thing that I have recognized is that some of the traditional gender roles that have been uh, superimposed on the church are actually that. They are traditional gender roles that have been superimposed on the church, and they're not based in Scripture or or in thorough study of Scripture nearly so much as they are based on how things have always been done. Um, I heard a a funny story that kind of illustrates that. Uh, There was a couple that was preparing for their Easter dinner. They were going to have their family over for Easter dinner. And as the wife was getting ready to cook the ham, she cut the end off of the ham and then put it in the oven to cook. And the husband looked at that and he goes, ah, that's weird. So he asked her, he goes, hey, why do you cut the end off the ham before you put it in the oven? She goes, well, that's the way my mom always did it. Oh, okay. That makes sense, but it doesn't answer my question. So he calls up her mom and he says, hey, I have a question. We're getting ready for Easter here and, and you know, we... Uh, my wife's putting the ham in the oven and she cuts the end off. And she said, that's the way you always do it. Why did you cut the end off the ham? She says, oh, well, that old house we lived in when the kids were growing up had a really small oven and the ham wouldn't fit in the oven. <laughs> and so you, you can see that these traditions are passed on based on something that's completely irrelevant today. And I, I think that happens in scripture. There are different cultural contexts in where, which things are applied that really maybe have less of a biblical application as a cultural application. Um, So first of all, this section is part of a larger section where Paul is really dealing with relationships. He continues the very next paragraph, which actually goes into chapter six, talks about parent-child relationships and then about slave and master relationships, which obviously are 
irrelevant in the sense that we don't have those dynamics today, but we have to look at scripture in light of what was happening in first century and realize that at that time, women were more, more closely connected to slaves than we might realize today. Um, and in many cases, they were in effect owned, especially in the sense that very often when a marriage is going to happen, the husband would pay a price, a fee to the father to be able to take that bride. And so with those sort of cultural norms happening, uh, women were seen in light of uh, the, you know, what was standard procedure at the time, including the owning of slaves. Paul, in his writing, in this passage, is effectively, he's, he's looking back to Genesis 2, not to Genesis 3. In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were created, uh, it, it bege- the creation of Eve begins with God saying, it's not good for man to be alone shouldn't be alone. He needs relationship. We need a relationship. And Eve was given to Adam as a gift, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he said. They were partners. They were comrades. Uh, Their purpose in their relationship was mutual support, mutual respect, and of course, love. But uh, you know the story. Immediately after that, chapter three of Genesis comes the fall. And what we have read described here. Uh, Genesis 3.16, very often today, that verse is taken as sort of the ideal for marriage. This is what marriage looks like, that right there. In fact, what is being described there is a broken relationship. It's, it's post-fall. In the Hebrew, this is not a directive or a command, it's a declaration. We've talked about before scripture being either descriptive or prescriptive. So descriptive scripture describes the way life is. Prescriptive scripture tells us how we should approach how life is. This passage is descriptive. The author here is describing how life is. And we can see that as is the case In every dynamic of life, the fall turns something that was created to be beautiful, this reciprocal relationship, and cause it to become a power struggle. And that's what what, what we've really seen between husbands and wives, by and large, historically. So that said, how is it supposed to work? How does the wife come under the husband like the church does Christ, and the husband come under the wife like Christ does the church. Because there's a reciprocity there that that really is the ideal for marriage. One interpretation that's very often given of this, and I'm just going to point it out because some of you might have heard it, is that uh, it, it, it is, it's based on culturally, male-female relationships in the first century and would be what Paul would be expected to say at that point. And basically the, the summary would be, well, verse 21 says submit to each other. 22 says wives submit to husbands. So there's two submits for the wife and one for the husband. So the husband still wins. That's really kind of how people look at that. 
So a few things, just a few things. First of all, uh, in the Greek, the word submit does not appear in verse 22. Uh, in verse 21, it says, submit to one another. Verse 22, uh, literal translation of the Greek is, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. The word submit is not there. It's implied. It is implied. And so the translators were gracious enough to add it. But in the Greek, it doesn't exist. It's not there. You don't have to trust me on that. Go ahead, whip out your handy-dandy little interlinear and look it up. It's not there. Second point, and, th- and this really is the key. This, this is, I think, one of the most important parts about this. Throughout the New Testament, the idea of headship has nothing to do with being the boss. That also is a worldly perspective that's been superimposed on Scripture. To illustrate that, I want to look at another passage. If you could go ahead to the next slide. This is Matthew chapter 20. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked for a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he concludes with this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is a uh, much more biblical approach to headship and leadership. So a couple things. First of all, just... I'll point out that if you go for a job interview or to talk to your boss about a promotion and you bring your mom, it's probably not a good plan. Just saying, that's a little tip for today. Uh, Don't bring your mom, even if she wants to go. Jesus (laughs) says... Can you drink of this cup? And they say, yeah, yeah, we can, we can, we, we can do it. And, and so he gives kind of an indirect answer at first. And when he does that, the disciples are together. He doesn't necessarily deny or decline uh, the, the two brothers to be with him. And so the other 10 get kind of mad. And then that's when Jesus gets more direct and says this, not with you. You take the lowest place. And what he does, in effect, is turns the whole worldly perspective on what it means to be a leader upside down. And he says, really, if you want to be the head, if you want to be the leader, then you take the lowest place and you take the position of the servant. That's how you get there. 
The word head in scripture is a complex word. It does have within it the idea of being in charge, being sort of overseer, boss, chief, whatever, however you want to frame that. But it also carries with it the idea of being the source or the origin of something. And to illustrate that, we talk about, you might hear someone talk about a headwater, and a headwater is a place that a river originates. That's the source that the river comes from before it flows to the ocean or wherever it's going. So the headwater is the head or the source of that, of that river. And so what is really effectively being communicated here, I believe, is that because Adam was created first, that he is the source or the origin, and he has the potential to bring life and happiness and safety uh, to his wife through loving her as Jesus loved the church. So really what Paul does is he does not put this passage in the context of Genesis 3.16 at all. He has a very, very different perspective on that. uh, And he's saying, in effect... That the man has the responsibility to willingly sacrifice himself like Jesus did for us, the church, on behalf of his wife. His responsibility is by far the greater responsibility of the two, and he's called to love his spouse as Jesus loves the church. And in doing that, he creates an environment where, like the bride of Christ, we, we, as the church, the bride of Christ, willingly yield ourselves, we submit to Jesus. Why? Well, because we know, we're confident that Jesus loves us and that he has our best intent at his heart. If, and we see this in people's lives sometimes who aren't willing to go all in and submit to Jesus because they don't know that. They've they've not experienced the goodness of God in such a way that indicates to them, I know, I I know that I know. There's no no confusion, no doubt in my heart. Jesus loves me. Jesus has the best for me. So I know that my life will be better off if I follow after him. And that really is the dynamic that's being described in, in regards to marriage here. So, We've gone over and we have some business to attend to. So I'll just close with this. I want to say that marriage isn't easy. And if you've been married longer than three days, you know that. First two days are pretty good, usually. After that, you start running into some rougher water. Yeah, you guys laugh. Um, It's a give and take. It's a give and take relationship. And it requires a willingness on both parts to yield, to serve, to submit, and to love one another. Um, But I'll say this, as is true in all challenging endeavors in life, if, if we approach our marriage relationship with Jesus and in Jesus, his promise is always good to be there with us throughout and to help us through those difficult times. All right, so this morning... Well, I'll just say this. I, I grew up, some of you know, some of you don't know, Donna and I attended Anaheim Vineyard for uh, 20 years. John Wimber was our pastor, and I learned so many lessons from John. And I'm so thankful for all of them, even the ones I don't like. And one of the ones I don't like 
is John used to say, you give your best away. And his perspective, which drove most of us crazy, was we're not here to build our church. We're here, here to build the kingdom of God. We go, yes, John, we know, but. And so today is one of those kinds of days where we don't like it but we know it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to ask Tuck and Zoe to come up. Most of you are aware that they've been with us for, uh, Tucker, for a long time. And, you know, I got to know Tuck when he was a teenager. He's kind of obnoxious. But he grew up and he, he I, I found this super, super passionate person for Jesus. And I really kind of grew to love him. But then he got married. And that was like next level. I'm all, this dude is way smarter than I gave him credit for. Because he brought Zoe to us. And that was awesome. And then. <laughs> so today is uh, their last day with us. And again, they're, they're taking another assignment uh, to work building the kingdom of God, which is a blessing. If they were going off to uh, deal drugs in Columbia or something, that would be a different story, but they're not. Uh, they're going to be serving the Lord uh, in another church in our community. And I'm sure that we will have opportunities to cross paths with them and, and minister together with them on many occasions in the future. But I'm going to just invite some of you guys who have been influenced by them to come up and just uh, pray with me. Why don't you yeah, just go out there because it's going to be crowded. And uh, pray, pray with them and pray with me and us as we, as we send them off this morning. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you next week.